number four. We're going to begin in verse number 29 and read down through the end of the chapter. I think you'll probably recognize at least a portion of these verses and an oft-repeated text in teaching and preaching. And I want to... uh, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit this morning, and uh, in particular, um, I want to show you um, where grieving the Holy Spirit takes you. I want to show you where it takes you. Ephesians chapter number 4, Ephesians chapter number 4, and let's stand together please for the reading of the Word of God. Let's read all these verses together in unison, please, beginning in verse number 29 and reading those four verses together in unison 29 through the end of the chapter. Together, please. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Read a companion verse to you without your turning to it. Your Bible concludes in the book of Revelation... With this invitation. And the Spirit, it's capital S, the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So the the Spirit and the bride. This is the end of the book of Revelation. The rapture takes place in Revelation chapter number four. And uh, it is then that the church, God's people, become the bride of Christ. Some people call the church the bride of Christ. It is a future bride. Not Right now it's not. It's the future bride of Christ. Because that bride is spotless and is perfect. And we're certainly not spotless and perfect right now. Have you ever knew some problems in a church before? Okay. So that's in the future. That's coming. And Ephesians chapter 5 draws the correlation between a husband and a wife and the Lord and His church. Uh, uh, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church. And he said, I speak of the the church. And uh, uh, in that passage is some imagery of how a man treats his wife and how the Lord feels about uh, the the local church, the body. And... um, uh, but but uh, at, at the rapture, we're called up, amen. Then there's a marriage supper of the Lamb, amen. And for the first time, all believers are all together in the same place. And we are married to our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And at that time, we see we'll be like Him. We won't have any more spots, we won't have more wrinkles, amen. That's an important doctrine. It gets lost here. Uh, but I, I want to... Uh, I want to uh, I, I want to uh, 
I want to draw that correlation now between God's people, the local church, God's people on earth, and, uh, and, and one day, all God's people, the bride, all God's people, saved, set apart, spotless now, will be one with Christ. Amen? And uh, uh, that, that's, the, that's the future church, if you will. But I want, I want to say this. You, 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 cannot, you cannot mistreat the bride without mistreating the bridegroom. You understand that, right? I know the bride, in, doctrinally speaking, is future. But on the earth, God's building it right now. He's building what will be His bride. Uh, it's a local congregation of believers. And so I don't believe that you can mistreat the local church without mistreating the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. No more than you could mistreat my dear wife down on the second row and think you'd be right with me and you're wrong with her. If you're wrong with her, you're wrong with me. Right? You understand that? And so uh, all this is so important as we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. And I'll go ahead and give you a little hint here. This passage is written to the local church. And he's talking about the way God's people treat each other. Ephesians 4 is in a letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, it was a big church. Paul wrote from Miletus to the elders, plural, of the church singular at Ephesus. So it was a large church. It had a large pastoral staff. We call it pastoral staff maybe today, assistant pastor, whatever. But the Bible word is just the word elders, which means there was more than one man that was ministering, shepherding the people. And so that command, Ephesians chapter 4, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, it's written to the local church. And he's talking about God's people and the way they treat each other. Now I've given you the end of the message. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you the beginning and work our way back down. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need you. I need your Holy Spirit's help. Please, Father, fill me and use me for Jesus' sake. Amen. You may be seated. Just a little more, please. We just finished uh, junior camp. It was a sweet, sweet time. And uh, summertime, in many ways, as far as our youth ministry is concerned, is just one of my favorite times of the year. And I have, uh, on numbers of occasions, I'm sure I did this at teen camp just about uh, four or five weeks ago now, it reminded our young people that what we love about the atmosphere of camp, there's a, there's something special about camp. I was called to preach at camp. Brother Hamilton surrendered his life uh, to serve the Lord and uh, to be a preacher uh, at camp. And I love the camp atmosphere. I love uh, the... Uh, uh, the, 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 I think about that Thursday night service that changed the direction of my life back in the uh, fall of 1985. And uh, we've experienced it again this summer. There's something special 
about that camp atmosphere. Some of our young adults now and uh, uh, Brother Cook on our staff uh, surrendered their lives at a camp in Hillsville, a campground belonging to Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown. And how many, many times we had sweet fellowship there and sweet testimonies and God worked deeply in our hearts. Some of you sitting here experienced that. I think of the times that uh, we've been to a youth uh, revival or a youth uh, uh, conference of some kind and we ride back on the bus for several hours maybe and we give testimony about what God has done in our lives. Uh, we took uh, 30 some odd folks to uh, Honduras last summer on a missions trip and we would have devotions together uh, each evening. Uh, as a group, and uh, uh, the, the director there, Brother Nelms, uh, commented more than once at uh, how much he enjoyed that part of the week as we came together, we sang together, we sang, and and just God's Spirit was there. And uh, we shared something from the Word, we sing, and we give testimonies about the day and what God did and folks that have been saved. And and uh, that that wonderful, that wonderful, uh, sometimes you might think of it as, uh, when you look back on it, as nostalgia. Or when you're in the midst of it, uh, it's just a, uh, it's a, an atmosphere. And it's, it's conducive to surrender, to decision making. And, and, uh, and, and our young people, I'm so thankful, I've experienced this in our church, in our youth groups uh, through the years. They've experienced that camaraderie and that, that mutual love. And I've, I've tried to emphasize this to our young people. That, that, what they feel at a testimony service or riding back on a bus and folks telling, this is what God did in my heart or at the altar at a camp. That is God's spirit. That, that feeling, that thrill, that joy, that, that, that tenderness of the soul that we enjoy that's so conducive to, to commitments that change the direction of your life. That is the presence of God's Spirit in God's people. Listen, if you come to a church and say, I love the atmosphere of the church, here's what you're saying. You love the atmosphere that is within the people. God's Holy Spirit, His fruit is love. I hope you feel love when you come in this place. I pray for that. It's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, a place where folks are patient with one another. Amen. We're, 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 uh, uh, we're, we're pulling for each other. We're encouraging one another. Amen. Not a place of judgment, but a place of long-suffering, a place of gentleness uh, 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 and meekness, humility, and so forth. That's a fruit of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit doesn't live in this building. The Holy Spirit lives within Him. The Holy Spirit lives within Him, within Him, within Him. Uh, <laughs> the Holy <laughs> Sorry, Brother Mark. The Holy Spirit lives uh, within Brother Mark. <laughs> pray for him. He's grieving the Spirit right now. Uh, the Holy Spirit lives in us, lives in the believer. Amen? This is people say, well, I, don't, I, I went to that church, I just didn't feel anything. Uh, did you ever stop and think that if, if there is a great Spirit here, that has to do with you? As a, how many of you saved? Say amen. You're born again. That has to do with you and the people that are around you. Amen? He said, I didn't deserve a very good spirit. Well, do something about it then. Amen? Why don't you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Amen? Yeah. A spirit is contagious. A bad spirit is contagious and a good spirit is contagious. Amen? 
And so, 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 uh, 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 so the Holy Spirit lives in us. And, and I, I try to emphasize to our young people, listen, what you love about this, this era of your life, you're in a place where you're loved and taught and in many ways protected and encouraged and you're fed regularly. You, you can take that with you. When you graduate from high school, you can take that with you because that is the presence of God in your life. It's not a campground. It's not a bus. It's not a building. It's not a location. It is God's Holy Spirit. Amen. And what you, Whatever you love about this church, if you love this church, I hope you do. I love this church. Whatever you love about this church is the presence of God's Spirit here among His people. That's what makes it special. Take your Bibles with me, and I'll give you a Bible study. Turn to Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter number 12. When, when you got saved, when you were born again, Jesus called it being born again in John chapter 3. <clears throat> the Bible said before you were saved, Ephesians says that you were dead in trespasses and in sins. In the, before you were saved, there was no desire for spiritual things. The Bible didn't make any sense to you. You'll come to church and you think, what in the world are these people excited about? I don't see what's so great about this. I can't wait to get out of here and go get something to eat and go play ball or watch something. And, uh, and so, so you, don't, you don't quite understand that. And, and, and uh, uh, I'm not talking down to anyone. If you're, here, if you're lost today, if you're not saved, it, it doesn't make sense to you. Uh, not until you've experienced it. And, uh, but with salvation, that which was dead in you, that part of you that's your spirit, man, is body, soul, and spirit. You might say body, mind, and we might say heart to represent the spirit. But you're a three-part being uh, and made in the image of God, who is three-part, Father, Son, Spirit. And so that part of you, that spirit part of you, that, that communes with God and loves the Word of God and loves the things of God, the Bible said is dead in trespasses and in sins. There's no spiritual desire in a lost man. He didn't understand what we're excited about. He, why go three times a week? Y'all go to church? What in the world? What in the world? And uh, now he gets up at three thirty in the morning to sit in you know thirty five degree weather to wait for a buck to walk by for four hours, and that's not unusual to him. Where he goes to a, a Coca Cola six hundred and sits on a hard concrete bench in the eighty degree weather uh, for about five hours or go like that, like that. That's not unusual to him. But come to church three times a week, he can't understand that. And that's because that's because if you're lost, your spirit is dead. You don't. There's no spiritual desires. But when you get saved, God's spirit comes to live inside of you, and that new nature is reborn. That which was died in Adam and Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Their spiritual desire for God and fellowship with God died when they ate that fruit and sin. And you were born with that sin nature with no desire for God. Your spirit is dead. But when you get saved, God's spirit comes to live inside of you. And new desires are born in you. That new man is reborn. And now all of a sudden you, you like the things of God. You want to learn more. And you want to grow. And, 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 and so, uh, uh, so God's spirit comes to indwell you. Now in Matthew chapter 12... We have what sometimes we know as, uh, we call sometimes the unpardonable sin. I want you to read with me, if you would, Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 31. Matthew 12, verse 31. Jesus is teaching here, and he says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost 
shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Thus the term unpardonable it cannot and will not be forgiven here or on the other side. Now, this sin that we're talking about, what is it? The Bible says in verse number 31, He said, Wherefore I send you all manner of sin, and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Notice that phrase, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Now look what he says in verse number 2. And whosoever speaketh a, a, a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost. So the biblical definition of blaspheming the Holy Ghost is speaking against the Holy Ghost. You see, the Bible says no man can be saved except the Father draws him. And God the Father draws us to Himself by the Spirit. We call it conviction. When the Holy Ghost comes to a lost man and says, You're lost. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. You're going to hell. You will do one or two things. You'll say, Oh my, yes, I need that. Or you'll say, No, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't. That's an uncomfortable thought. I, listen, I have from this platform right here literally watched people uh, 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 with uh, 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 fingers gripping the chair in front of them. In the old auditorium of there as well, I preached to folks who literally knuckles turn white, holding on to the pew, convicted by the Holy Spirit, who do not want to say yes to the Holy Spirit, who push back, who say, no, 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 not tonight, not tonight, not now. It's not my time. No, no, no. And God, the Holy Spirit, in lovingly, lovingly draws you to the Father, draws you to the Father. God loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. Oh, please come. The Holy Spirit draws. Now you can cross a line where you say no to the Holy Spirit. Genesis 3, 6, 3. My spirit will not always strive with men. Stand up for just a moment. And you're going to represent the Holy Spirit. And you're inviting me. And you're drawing me. And you're tugging on me. And, 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 and I feel that. I feel it's a tug in my heart. And I feel that. And you might be lost here today. And you felt that before. And, and, and I feel that drawing. But I, I said, no, it's not my time. And, and I, got, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know some people that got saved. And they don't live right. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And all these things come to mind. It's a spiritual battle. The Bible says, now listen carefully. The Bible says you can push the Holy, you can say no to the Holy Spirit. You can speak against the Holy Spirit. I don't want that to a point thank you, where He will say no more. Okay. This is what we know as what we call the unpardonable sin. The Bible defines it as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is speaking against the Holy Spirit. What's the Spirit doing? The Spirit is drawing. And we say, no, 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 no. No, I told you no. I told you no. I told you no. And the Holy Spirit one day says, okay. Now listen to me carefully. Only a lost person can commit this sin. If you've been born again, you cannot commit this sin. This is a sin of a lost man. And what happens when a lost man commits that sin is that the Holy Spirit will no longer tug at his heart, no longer draw him, no longer convict him. He can't get saved after that because he'll never want to be saved. The Holy Spirit who gives him the want to, who draws him, gives him the invitation, will stop inviting him 
And he won't have to speak against the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is no longer speaking to him. That sin can be committed only by an unsaved person. Now go to Acts chapter number 5. So we learned uh, about the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to show you something that, that I believe, I believe, the Bible doesn't say so explicitly, but my understanding of this passage is a sin that a saved person can commit. In Acts chapter number 5, the Bible says that a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. I'm in Acts 5. I'll give you just a moment longer there. Some of you are finding your place there. Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price of uh, his wife also being privy to it. In other words, they kept it private and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. I guess so. He dropped dead in the middle of the church. Verse 6, And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. No memorial service, no music, no singing. They put him in the ground. Verse 7, And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, she did not know her husband was in the ground, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Notice verse number 3. The, uh, uh, Peter told Ananias, You have lied to the Holy Ghost. In verse number 9, he defines that as tempting the Spirit of the Lord. Now, let me give you the significance of this. In the, book of, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse number 8, the Bible said, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea, Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That was written in 33 A.D., and 30 years later, according to Romans chapter 1, and verse 8, the gospel had gone to the whole world. Think of that. In that period of time, the gospel had gone to the world. He said, how in the world that happened? The power of the Holy Ghost came down in Acts chapter number 2. Unusual things happened. God's people were all in one place, in one accord. Have you ever seen a church where everybody in the church was there at the same time and they were all in one accord, getting along with each other, loving one another? It happened in Acts chapter 2. 
They were all there, the same mission, the same mind, even so much so that the people said, we've got to pour everything we've got into this cause. Now, this wasn't mandated by the Scripture, but these folks were so impassioned to get this good news that Jesus Christ had died on the cross. But yes, He rose from the dead, and you can have your sins forgiven, you can be saved and have a home in heaven. They literally began to sell what they owned and, 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 and gave it to help get the gospel to the world. And Ananias and Sapphira were in this environment. No doubt, no doubt they were some that had come to Christ early on in the church. I do believe they were saved. Uh, and they too were caught up in this. And they said, you know, uh, God's led us to this. God's Spirit has led us to do this now. And, 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 and we want to give everything. And we, we got a piece of land. We're going to sell the, the land. And, and God has put it in our heart to sell it and give every all the proceeds to help get the gospel out. Except when it came time... To do so, the Bible said they lied to the Holy Ghost. And in so doing, they tempted, or if I could say it this way, they, uh, 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 it's like saying, I dare you. You understand that? I dare you. Here's what I think happened. I'm reading between the lines, granted. But I do believe they're in the church. The Bible said the Lord added to the church daily such as to be saved. They're in the church. They're caught up in this spirit of sacrifice. God's spirit had spoken to them and said, Now, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, uh, you know, you got that piece of land and it could really help the work of the Lord. You ought to sell it and, uh, and you, ought to, you ought to give it. And they said to the Holy Spirit, they said, that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. The Lord's talking to them, to both of them. And they both said, that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. But then later on, they came and they made that commitment to the Lord. Uh, the church didn't ask for it. None of God, nobody in God's, the, the, the church asked them for it. It was just between them and the Lord. It's what God spoke to them. And they said, Lord, we promise you that's what we're going to do. But then later on, they came back and they said, well, we didn't really promise that. And the Bible says they, they, they tempted by lying to the Holy Spirit. They did not keep their commitment. They didn't have to. It was not a requirement. Nobody was asking them for it. If they themselves have been dealt with by God individually. They made the personal commitment to the Lord. Nobody's asking them for it. Nobody's checking on them. Uh, 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 but, but they got up and, and wanted to give the impression that they were in complete obedience to their commitment to the Lord. And say, yeah, we made a promise to the Lord. And, and, and we were going to sell that land. and going to give it all to the Lord. And so here it is. Except they, they were not keeping their commitment. They lied to the Holy Ghost. Not the preacher. They lied to the Holy Ghost. They didn't make the commitment to the preacher. But they wanted everybody to think they were doing what they had promised God to do. But they were not, they had, were not doing what God had promised to do. And this is the first blatant example of hypocrisy in the local church. And I don't know. I can't read God's mind. I don't know. But here's what I think happened. I think God said, we better nip this right here in the bud. You are daring me. You're standing up in front of everybody as though you're going to keep your commitment that you made to me. You made that commitment. You made this promise to me. And you want everybody to think that you're keeping your commitment to me. And he said, that will be like a disease that will infect the church and destroy the church. And how many of you know there's hundreds of thousands of people sitting home today? And if you ask them why they're not at church today, I ain't going down there with a bunch of them hypocrites. Might make it a little more understandable why God seemed to deal so harshly with this issue early in the church. Now, I, I can't say for certain because the Bible doesn't speak explicitly to it. But here's what I believe. 
I believe, as I taught, to you, taught you two Sunday mornings ago, that Adonis, Ananias and Sapphira committed what the Bible calls a sin unto death. They lied or tempted the Holy Ghost. Now, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, only an unsaved person can, can commit that. But tempting God, tempting the Holy Spirit, you better believe a saved person can commit that sin. You as a saved person can make commitments to the Lord and then come back later and argue with the Holy Spirit. Say, well, I didn't mean that. I don't think that was you. And you can go back on that. And I promise you this, you are tempting God the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying God's going to kill you. That's His business. I'm not His patrolman. But I am His messenger. And a saved person can tempt God. A saved person can lie to the Holy Ghost and say, yes, God, this is what I'll do. And then go back on that and still want everybody to think you know, this public display. Oh, I keep all my commitments to God, but God knows. And I would say to you, you're tempting God in so doing. Take your Bibles now. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 29. We've learned so far that you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We've learned now that you can tempt the Holy Spirit, which could very well become the sin unto death, which is God taking one of His children home to heaven earlier then they might have been taken. Hebrews chapter number 10. I want you to start verse 24 because I want you to see this is written in the context of an address to the local church. Hebrews 10 says in verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You know God's people be considerate one of another. Amen. To provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible tells us that uh, in Matthew sixteen eighteen, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. That word church is the word ecclesia in the Greek language. It just simply means a called out assembly. This is not a church because you're inside these four walls. But a church is, if, if this building was blown over by a hurricane this week, we could go out in the parking lot and we could have church. Amen? Because the church is not a building. The church is the gathering or the assembling of God's people. By the way, this is another doctrine. It's like the bride of Christ. Uh, that's misunderstood. But the local church, the doctrine of the local church is misunderstood. People today say, uh, uh, many people today uh, say, uh, well, if you're saved, you're in, you're in the church. Like the church is some invisible something or another. No, Jesus started a, a local church. Again, the church at Ephesus, the elders, plural, pastors of the church, singular at Ephesus. Read the church, seven churches in the book of Revelation, the church at Sardis, the church at Thessalonica, so on and so forth. So the local church, what Jesus started, he said, I want my people, they get saved all over the world. I want them to gather. I want them to assemble. I want them to pray together. I want them to fellowship together. I want them to organize to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Look, the, the doctrine of the universal church is like saying we have an army, but we don't have any, uh, I, don't, I don't know military terms, we don't have any units, we just have army. And everybody that, everybody that uh, uh, joins up is just in the army. Well, what outfit are we with? I don't know, I'm just in the army. Let me ask you a question. How effective is our military going to be if everybody's just one big conglomerate? None whatsoever, right? 
the effectiveness is that we have this company and this uh, 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 this outfit and so on and so forth. I don't know the lingo, but you understand all the way down uh, uh, to, to your to your smallest group. And you belong to that. And you have a job there and you're intricately involved with one another. You depend on one another and you fight, as uh, 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 as some have said, like a band of brothers. And, and, and that's what makes uh, uh, the, 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 the military or the army as a whole effective. And the same is true in the cause of Christ. Jesus Jesus started, he called his disciples out in Mark chapter number 10. He called them out and he said, I'll call you to be with me. And then he trained them and then he empowered them. And then the gospel exploded to the known world. And, 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 and there was a church in Ephesus, there was a church in Thessalonica. There's a church here, a church at Philippi. Listen to me, that, that, that doctrine, the doctrine of the local church is a, a crucial The Holy Spirit comes to us in Hebrews chapter number 10 and He says, listen to me, I have a place for you. I want you to be, look at verse number uh, 24 again. I want you to be considerate of others. I want you to come with love for others. I want you to do good works involved with others, not forsaking verse 25. I want you to be faithful to that place. Now in that context, drop down to verse number uh, uh, 28. In Hebrews 10, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. We're talking to save people. Do you see that? An unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Hebrews, you go back and look at Hebrews. He says, brethren, brethren, he's talking to born-again believers. That's so important to understanding the book of Hebrews. So wait a minute. Hebrews just told us, and again, he's talking in the context of the local church. A symbol, exhort, so forth. He says, then he spoke of those who despite the Holy Spirit. That word despite would be like our word insult, to spite, to insult. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 29. The nation of Israel is used as an example here. God saved them. The Passover lamb there in Egypt, that last night, the tenth plague, and the blood was put on the doorposts, and God brought them because the uh, the blood was applied. The, uh, the death angel passed over, and they were delivered, and they went uh, uh, out of Egypt and uh, uh, what uh, an eleven day journey. They there at the uh, at the the door of the promised land. That wilderness between Egypt and the promised land is uh, represents the, the the carnal Christian life. It, it represents uh, when they crossed, they came out of uh, Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. That represents salvation. This wilderness part is an immaturity as a believer, carnality as a believer. You're saved, but you're not mature in the Lord yet. Then they get to the Jordan, and here's the promised land, which was their inheritance, and that represents victorious Christian living. But the Bible says they came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, representing salvation. They came across that 11-day journey, across the wilderness. They got to the Jordan River. They were ready to go on into the promised land. And the Bible says they did despite to the Holy Spirit. They insulted Him. Now, how did they do that? They refused to listen. Remember the 12 spies that went in? 
Ten of them came back and said, oh, it's, they, all 12 of them came back and said, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Uh, we got a, 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 a cluster of grapes and it, we had to put it on a tiny old staff, take two men to carry it. I mean, the fruit was unbelievable. But 10 of the 12 said what? Oh, yeah, but there are challenges there. And, and there's giants there. And the sons of Anakim are there. And oh, my, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, what, what do you mean? What, what do you mean we can't do it? He parted the Red Sea for us. Uh, 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 the, 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 the death angel uh, 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 came and, and, and Pharaoh let us go out of slavery for all those years and the Red Sea part. What do you mean we can't? God's taking care of us. He's going to take care of us and we need to go on to Christian maturity. But ten of them said, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. And what did they do? They simply refused to obey. Here's the way we say it modern, modern day. The Holy Spirit has led them this far. This is the illustration in Hebrews 10. Has led them this far. And they get here and they said, that, that looks hard. And the Holy Spirit says through Joshua and Caleb, let's go in. And here Israel collectively said, talk to the hand. That's what they did. They insulted the Holy Spirit. They said, we can't do that. And God's Spirit said, Yes, you can. And two spirit-filled men are saying, yes, we can. You can. God. Yes, you're saved. Thank God. But you're supposed to go into spiritual maturity. You're saved. You're a child of God. You're supposed to be consecrating Him. Take what God has for you. And they say, I don't want to go in. And what happened? They wound up wandering for the next 40 years. And so we find that Ananias and Sapphira tempted and lied to the Holy Spirit. We find that the nation of Israel, here is the illustration, that you can insult or spite the Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Turn to Acts chapter number 7. And look with me, please, at uh, verse number 51. Stephen is preaching. And he says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. So we find we can resist the Holy Spirit. All right, we can tempt the Holy Spirit, which could very well, easily, could, could very well lead to the sentence of death. I mean, that's you, it's almost like a dare. We can tempt the Holy Spirit. We can insult the Holy Spirit by refusing to listen to Him. We know what we're supposed to do. And we're like, I don't want to hear it. And by the way, there's a lot of saved people sitting out in their homes today said, saying, the very, saying, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it anymore. Number three, uh, 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 for, for a Christian, we can resist the Holy Spirit. That's listening to the Holy Spirit, but pushing back. Listening to the Holy Spirit, but pushing back. So you tempt Him, you, you, you dare Him. I'm going to disobey you and I dare you to do anything about it. You can insult Him by saying, I just don't want to hear it anymore. You can resist Him by listening, but pushing back inside. Listen to what He has to say and then say, no. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Don't turn to it for the sake of time. He says, quench not the Spirit. Quench is like throwing cold water on something, right? He says, quench not the Spirit. That's the person who, listening, and this is where many, many, many of God's people are. 
That's the person who listens to the truth, considers it, and then says, well, I obey. This part right over here, I, I agree with that. But that, I don't know about that over there. This, yeah, I, I can see that, but I, 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 don't, I, don't, I disagree with that. God's Holy Spirit through the preaching of His Word, through the teaching of His Word, through the study of His Word speaks to us and says, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. The Holy Spirit deals with us through His Word, through the preaching of His Word, and we're convicted. And what do we do? What's right? We give Him a hearing. And then we say, oh, Yeah, I'll do that part, but I don't know about that part over there. Listen to me very careful. That's where a lot of God's people are. You'd be surprised how many times in all these years of pastoring, folks come up to me and say, now, Pastor, I know you're right on that matter. But. You know what you call that? You call that quenching the Spirit. It's not about me. But if that word is faithfully preached, and God's Spirit speaks to you through His Word, and you say, well, I know that's right, but you are quenching the Holy Spirit. Now go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. We end where we began. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So let me give you, now we went backwards, let me go forward. How do you get to the place where you're in Ananias and Sapphira? Where you would tempt God? You say, Pastor, I just have a hard time even thinking as a saved person that I would just like dare God. How do I get there? Well, the Bible talks about grieving. And that's where it starts. It starts with grieving. And then it goes to quenching. That's the person who listens and considers and partially obeys. Then it goes to resisting. That's the person who listens but pushes back. Then it goes to uh, insulting the Holy Spirit or spiting the Holy Spirit, which is, I don't want to hear it anymore. And then it can move you into tempting the Holy Spirit where we literally lie to the Holy Spirit, put on this hypocritical face where we're not even close to what we made commitments to do for the Lord. We're not doing them. And we actually dare or daring Him to judge us. But it begins, the, bit, the roots of it are here in Ephesians 4, where we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, what's this whole passage about? Look at verse number 29. Let no corrupt communicate. That's dirty talk. The word corrupt means rot, spoil, putrefy. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that means build up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the way God's people talk to each other. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Only good, only that which edifies, only that which is gracious. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness... That's our spirit and attitude toward God's people. And wrath, that's an old grudge. And anger, and clamor, and evil speaking. That's talking behind people's back, running people down. 
be put away from you with all malice. Malice is behavior that's intended to to harm someone else's reputation or embarrass them or upset them. But, in contrast, be ye kind one to another. Tender heart. That's what spirit-filled people do. Spirit-filled people are kind. Spirit-filled people are tender-hearted. Spirit-filled people are forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. They think about what God did. God, for, for, for Christ's sake, forgave me. Because of Jesus, God the Father would forgive me. And would save me and salvage me. And that ought to change the way we, to change the way we look at God's people. Folks, listen, when you walked in this door, you walked into a place where people are made out of the same stuff that people who go to Walmart, people who go to bars, people who sell dope on the street, people who work at your workplace, people who eat lunch with you at your workplace. Those folks are made of the same stuff people in this place are made out of. The difference is this, is God's Spirit lives inside of us. And what you love about church, you love because of God's Spirit moving and working in the hearts and lives of the people that are here. Revelation, I don't have time to go into it. Revelation talks about a time where God will literally snuff out the candlestick. That's talking about a church. The bride, which is the future, all of God's people, when we have been sanctified, when He comes and we're changed and we're like Him, we'll all be together. That's not right now. This local church, the body, it's called in the New Testament. The bride, word bride is never used in the epistles. It's the body, the body of Christ, this local group, this local assembly. This is where God's people come. And this is where God's Spirit is supposed to flow. And this is where the love and consideration, Hebrews 24, is supposed to take place right here among God's people. Not just in this building, but among God's people. And you listen to me. The the devil would love nothing more than to 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 to, to uh, hinder the Holy Spirit, than to spoil the spirit and attitude of the people that sit in the chairs and the seats and the pews of Bible believing churches all over this nation and around the world. He wants to, he wants you to get offended. He wants you to get miffed. He wants you to he wants you to uh, 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 to uh, uh, quench him. He wants you to sit in the pew and say, I know the Bible says that, but I, 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 I think I'll do that part, but that part of there, I don't know about that. He wants you to quench him. It starts with grieving and then quenching and then resisting and then finally insulting. It's how we treat God's people. It's the spirit of God's people. Listen, if if, if you you find your little uh, uh, liberal church has one service on Sunday morning for 45 minutes, a little rock and roll, a little uh, watered-down version of the Bible, lasts about 45 minutes, might be a woman preacher, might be a queer. You can find it. They're all over the place. You can find them anywhere. There'll be zero conviction. The Holy Spirit will not convict you. There'll be no Bible preaching. Nobody will be uncomfortable. Good God, good devil, good everybody. We're loving, we're inclusive, we're, ex- we're accepted. Uh, let me tell you something. <laughs> there ain't no Holy Spirit there. Of course no one ever gets offended. Of course no one ever gets convicted. Why? There's no Holy Ghost there. But you get in a church where the Word of God is preached and where people are together. Listen, we're, we're together a lot. 
We're together a lot. This is a busy work and a busy ministry. And soul winners and, and Christian workers and staff members and bus routes and Sunday school classes and ministry. We're thrown together. We were thrown together this week at camp. I saw a couple of uh, workers grieve the Holy Spirit this week. And uh, that was supposed to be funny. But listen to me. Listen, listen. There will come an opportunity for you, my dear friend, to get a little crossways with somebody. There'll come an opportunity for you to get your feelings hurt. There'll come an opportunity for you to get offended. There'll come an opportunity for you, for you to carry your feelings on your sleeve right there. There'll be an opportunity. You sit in the church. I love this church. I love his preaching. And all of a sudden, one day, I'm going to get up and I'm going to fire something off from this pulpit out of this book right here. And you're going to go <clears throat> and choke and have a choice. You can either get offended and grieve the Holy Spirit of God and join the vast company of backslidden Christians who are not in a local church this morning who sit at home and piously say, I'm no hypocrite. I'm going down there with a bunch of hypocrites who grieve the Holy Spirit. Some of them insulting the Holy Spirit at this point. My, my point is this. It starts right here with God's people who are active and involved and giving and faithful and busy for the Lord. Listen, every day, walk in the Spirit. Amen. How do you forgive? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven. Be ye kind one to another. Amen. Tender-hearted one with another. We are a bunch of broken people that need the grace of God in our lives. This is a hospital, not a showroom. It is an emergency room where broken people come and get help. Amen. And what we, what, what we need is a bunch of gracious caretakers who, who love one another and help one another and encourage one another and say, I don't care. You can't hurt my feelings so bad to make me leave. This is God's place. This is God's intention for me in this day, in this, in this age. Uh, it's the local church and His Spirit works here and it works through His people. And by the grace of God, the devil's not going to get me away from it. He's not going to do it. Some of you know some of the best people in the world that you love who grieved, became grieved, and then grieved the Holy Spirit. Began to quench the Holy Spirit, resist the Holy Spirit. Every single day, my dear friend, you and I need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When you come in this place right here, your smile, your spirit, your participation changes the atmosphere of this church. Amen. By the way, that's why you ought to say amen. If something's true, say amen. You say, where'd you get that? First Corinthians 14. It's in the Bible. Amen. All God's people said, amen. amen. I'm not talking about something that's unbiblical. I'm not talking about taking the focus off the preaching and teaching of God's word with something that's... That, that, but I am talking about, hey, man, that's why we all sing. Then we just have, take your songbooks. You know what y'all do? Y'all take your songbook. Amen. Let's sing. What do we do? What should you do? Sing. Say, so I don't sing very well. Just all right. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Amen. Do you know what let us pray means? It means put your shoes on, put everything back in your purse, dig around, put your papers back in your Bible, and totally ignore what's going on. No, it doesn't mean that. Guess what it means? 
Let's pray. That's what it means. Amen. Oh, listen to me. Whatever you love about your church, youth, whatever you love about your youth group, it is the Spirit of God moving and working in God's people. Amen. And you ought to say, I'm going to be a part of that. Bow your heads, please.